Hello, and welcome to 15 Minutes to Change the World, where in 15 minutes or less, you can learn a bit more about the world and how you can help change it. This month, we'll be bringing you four special episodes as part of our March for Women podcast series. Throughout the month of March, we'll be talking to four incredible women working in different sectors and with different areas of expertise to learn more about women's leadership here in Canada and around the world. As always, you'll hear about how you can get involved by learning from, advocating for, and supporting women to lead. Our guest today is the incredibly inspiring Maserat Hailiesus, who is the CEO and founder at the Canadian Centre for Women's Empowerment. Maserat is an economic justice advocate, a change maker, an intersectional feminist, and an entrepreneur. Maserat, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I'm really excited to have you as our guest. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Ed, can you tell us a bit about the Canadian Centre for Women's Empowerment and the work that you do? The Canadian Centre for Women Empowerment is a national organization based in, in Ottawa. Uh, we are dedicated to empower domestic violence and economic abuse survivors through advocacy, mentorship and economic empowerment. We are the only organization dedicated to raise awareness on economic abuse and transforming response to it. And then we work with uh, collaboratively with a number of organizations, individuals, including survivors, to develop a comprehensive approach uh, that enables you know, survivors to recover from uh, economic abuse. And uh, our program, address you know uh, some of the critical gaps uh, especially the policy uh, which are preventing survivors from recovering and being economically secure and independent so right now we have three programs so the first program is education and awareness every year we host a national campaign to educate publics on you know economic abuse and usually our purpose is um to raise awareness specifically uh, on this issue for survivors, financial institutions, policymakers, to show them the different economic challenge faced by you know, survivors. And we have also a mental health and wellness program. Uh, we support survivors by finding the best way to take care of themselves. And we, we are right now developing some kinds of a trauma-informed guideline to promote a healthy lifestyle. And the other uh, program is focused on policy and research. So right now we are advocating for policy change that reflect what economic abuse is. Uh, imagine limiting someone's ability to access money and support and monitoring someone's communication location, even after you leave that relationship is it's all about economic abuse. Well, we've heard a lot about the, the negative economic consequences of COVID-19 and how it's exposed and really widened economic and social inequality here in Canada and worldwide. 
Mr. Ed, can you talk about the impact the pandemic has had on women in Canada and particularly the women that you work with? What we have seen from our work is the rapid increase in unemployment rates increase men's controlling behaviors towards you know, their partners. So even uh, as you know, the government are spending a lot of resources to adjust unemployment and economic distress at the household level. But still, this issue is, you know, it triggers the other partners to control and to abuse more. So, as you know, family violence, especially um, in racialized community and marginalized community, it's a taboo. And also talking about money and finance is also a taboo. So the chance of having you know, women to get economic abuse is like more even during this pandemic. Um, and also we have seen a lot of people are reaching out and then to help that. But, you know, our capacity was limited even to address some of this stuff. COVID, it hits everybody else. We know that. But women are disproportionately impacted, especially survivors. Uh, and also one of the challenge even for most survivors is a mental health aspect. Some uh, people, especially women, uh, they may have a pre-existing post-traumatic stress syndrome because of this, uh, you know, violence. And imagine COVID by itself, it just keeps them somewhere. And then that's also, it's a huge impact even for us, for service providers and for advocates. And of course, uh, one of even the challenge even like, you know, uh, for women even to get the resources like the social support or it might be economic. Uh, imagine if you don't have any laptop and phone access, computer and everything. It's very hard for a woman. And the other also aspect of this COVID is uh, especially single mothers. As you know, the childcare cost is very high. It's very discouraging for a woman to go back, you know, to workforce because they have to take care of the child. And usually the government, they just give only $600 for single mothers. That $600 is not even enough for most women. You know, that's what we have seen. And in Ottawa also, what we have seen is um, we have a shortage of food, especially uh, food banks are sometimes running out of food. Uh, some women, they can't afford, you know, uh, so this is a reality and then it affects, you know, everything. Can you tell us more, Mastrat, about the, the structural financial obstacles and barriers in Canada that hinder women's economic empowerment and specifically the economic empowerment of survivors of domestic violence? So one of the challenges is housing. So finding safe and affordable housing is a huge problem for survivors. And the second challenge is like limited access of money because of their abuser especially survivors, uh, they don't have the right even to access some of the financial assets, which is very hard for them to rebuild their life uh, because we don't have any system somehow in Canada uh, to control and uh, to help women. That's why my agency right now advocating for this uh, so that women, they can kind of like, you know, start their own life shortly after they leave, especially as a shelter. And the other challenge is, of course, mental health. You know, the mental health is very, very challenging for many people, especially indigenous and black community. Um, you know, uh, there is a stigma associated to that and service is not even accessible. And the other challenge, of course, is like, you know, the legal system is also, it's a very complex. It's not accessible for most women, uh, especially if you are victims of economic abuse, you may have assets with your abuser, you are not eligible to get some of the legal services. 
And the other challenges, of course, is the banking system. Uh, so uh, in, 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 in Canada, uh, right now, the banking, most of the bankings right now, they don't have any family violence programs. For example, for women stay in shelter, uh, you know, uh, the bank, what they do is right now, if she skip two, three payments, they will suspend their account. But that account, it may be associated with her abuser. So some abusers are smart. Uh, what they do is they don't touch physically. What they do is like they just take your bank information. They will commit a lot of fraud, theft and everything. But in Canada, we don't have a clear program right now. So my agency right now is creating this ecosystem to support the banks to develop a family violence program so that women still they can you know protect it and the other challenge of course some women they may have a coercive date uh, coercive dates um, is uh, it's all about like you know it's damaged their credit and um, it can then make it's more challenging to secure housing buy a car or land a job we believe that economic abuse is a systemic problem in our society which we are severely lacking the infrastructure to address. Why do you think that Canada is, is behind in this area? That's a good question, actually. Um, in Canada, uh, I'm not a legal expert, actually, uh, but the family violence, even in the definition, uh, we couldn't find a clear definition of economic abuse. It just, they put it like a general definition. Uh, we don't have a specific program. We don't have a national data for economic abuse. Uh, and also, uh, the, we spoke to many agencies, especially frontline workers and people who work with violence against uh, women organizations. So they don't have the capacity to provide all those tools because, you know, if you don't have any data and if you don't have any policy, if you don't have a financial abuse and economic abuse code of practice, uh, it will be challenging. I think maybe that may be one of the reasons. And the other reason is also there's a lack of awareness. So the awareness of economic and financial abuse, many women even they don't recognize. There's a huge lack of awareness. That's why we start this conversation. And right now we work uh, and also we learn from many agencies, especially there is one agency in United Kingdom. Uh, they do a lot of research on this aspect. They have interesting program to educate banks, to educate police, to inform also policymakers. Even they are developing the financial abuse code of you know, practice for the bank right now. So in Canada, we don't have that. Can you tell us, Masrat, how does intersectionality relate to your work? And why is it such an important part of the conversation when we talk about the challenges women face and when we talk about the solutions to these challenges? Yeah, intersectionality is a way in which aspects of our identities, like uh, it may be gender, race, class, location, ability, and the life experience overlap to create, you know, discrimination and disadvantages, disadvantage. So, of course, intersectionality allow us, especially for advocates, for uh, program leaders, you know, to understand how a person or a group of people or uh, social issues such as like gender-based violence is affected by uh, different factors that exist in unhealthy and codependent relationships such as racism, sexism, colonialism, you know, there's a lot of things associated for that. So when these factors, you know, intersect, for example, a woman identified as indigenous, uh, she may live in remote area. So uh, this woman may have increased the risk of, you know, gender-based violence. Uh, because as you know, in 2018, the police also reported that 
the homicides rate for indigenous women and girls was nearly seven times higher than the indigenous you know, women, right? Uh, so it's kind of intersectionality uh, means um, when addressing gender-based violence, we must recognize, of course, and most marginalized women, including indigenous, racialized women, immigrant, refugee, women with disability, gender diverse people, uh, and also uh, girls and children uh, this enables us to design intersectional program and plus um, it helps us to acknowledge and recognize that uh, addressing the root cause of gender-based violence and advancing uh, equity, it's also one of our um, priority in our organization. Masra, do you have a message for women who are, who are listening today and for maybe to Canadian policymakers as well? Yeah. So for the survivors or victims of violence, uh, I have one message, actually. Uh, look out the warning signs of economic abuse. Uh, put a plan together. Uh, if someone you are living with is, uh, and also get information about your asset and liability before you leave that relationship. Get a copy of your car, house key, extra money, emergency phone numbers. And also if your partner controls the money, uh, look for a way to find more information about his or his her income and uh, financial property, real estate property, and also date. It's very, very important for a woman, you know, otherwise it would be very complicated for a woman if she don't have those kind of things. And of course, uh, it's also very important to get your copy of your credit report from any of the three major credit bureaus in Canada. And also, if you have any question, you can check our website, the Canadian Center for Women Empowerment, www.ccfw.org. For policymakers, uh, economic abuse is has to be recognized as a part of family violence. And we need to see uh, the government to expand the federal strategic plan. Uh, we know that the national gender-based violence strategy right now is implemented, uh, which is very interesting. But we want to see economic abuse has to be included. We want to see an ecosystem for a woman to rebuild her life in any ways. It may be economic empowerment. It may be a scholarship fund for a women. And of course, the governments also um, start to think about on how we could address the coercive control. It has to be criminalized. Otherwise, without criminalization and without taking an action uh, addressing this issue, uh, it may not be, you know, uh, we may not be successful. So that's what I would like to say, yeah. And lastly, Masrat, what can our listeners do to help empower women and advance gender equality, whether at home, here at Canada or abroad? So for any Canadian who's listening this, in order to engage women, we need to take action from day one, today, not tomorrow. We can encourage our children, we can educate our women, we have to also encourage women to take some of the leadership role in our community. And never underestimate the power of women wherever you are. There are women, they may not have a voice. They may be in a trauma. They may be in an abusive situation. They may be in shelter. So that situation, it doesn't define who they are. So just try to recognize their situation. Let's support them. Let's stop the stigma and discrimination. And let's, let's help them the mental health what they have been through. Let's create them the opportunities. And finally, for the policymakers, definitely gender equality, it needs diverse and also it needs a collaborative effort. We need to engage banks. We need to engage, you know, advocates. We need to engage also survivors for any kind of intervention. Masrat Hailiasus, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Sure, yeah, it's my pleasure. 
Thank you to each and every one of you for tuning in as well. As always, you can stay up to date and share the latest episodes of 15 Minutes to Change the World on Spotify, iTunes, and on care.ca slash podcasts.